G'day you mob, how's it going? Welcome to this special episode of Pete's Two Cents where we're going to be talking a little bit about New Year's Eve and I guess New Year's in general. I've also got some questions here that we can go through but we'll see how it goes. Um, yeah, and I guess I am recording this currently and it is 5.05pm on the 31st of December so you'll probably hear this tomorrow because I'm going to release this as the Sunday episode. I haven't been able to do some of the more... Uh, expression-y kind of episodes recently because I've been sick again and just lost my voice, as you can probably hear a little bit from my uh, tone and the huskiness that I have. But um, yeah, thanks for bearing with me. I hope you guys have had a safe holiday period, whether you you know have been celebrating Christmas or not. And uh, I hope you also have a safe New Year's Eve. So I guess when I was growing up, it used to be something that I always sort of looked forward to especially because it was on those those holidays sort of periods, right? So, you had like Christmas and everything happen and then usually you kind of lose track of what day it is for a week or so after that and eventually uh, New Year's Eve rolls by and you get to sort of have a party and hang out with family and friends and all that jazz. So, yeah, I, I used to love I used to love those times because we would usually be getting together with friends and family. You know, it wouldn't be a massive do, but it might be... Uh, I don't know, 10 to 20 people. This was when I was, you know, much younger. So, when I was just a kid, um, I'd probably stay up until about nine o'clock. And in Australia, I don't know for how long, but for at least the last 15 to 20 years, they've had nine o'clock fireworks. So, a sort of first little round of fireworks earlier on in the evening for kids to be able to watch so that parents can then put them to bed and then get down to the real partying with their mates and their friends and their family and then enjoy the midnight ones. And it was always a bit of an effort. I, I can't remember what age I was when I first stayed up until midnight to watch the fireworks. But I do remember doing that and it being like a kind of big deal, you know, like, oh, wow, I, I feel like I shouldn't be... It's, it's almost like a taboo thing. <laughs> I don't know why this comes to mind, but it would like it, it felt like being a man and somehow accidentally going into the girls' toilets, right? And being like, oh, shit, this is the complete wrong area. I shouldn't be here. Jesus. So, I remember when I was a little kid and we would get to stay up past, say, nine o'clock, you would feel like you were doing something naughty because usually your parents, you know, 364 nights of the year would be like, you have to go to bed before nine o'clock or at nine o'clock or whenever your time is and you would never be able to stay up to, say, midnight. So, I do remember vividly doing that and getting to see the fireworks for the first time and and it just felt like such an event. I was like, wow, I, I can't believe I've stayed up past midnight. Whoa, like how crazy am I? <laughs> like, I remember, yeah, it was just, it was a really funny thing to experience for the first time. And it's funny because nowadays, you know, as an adult, Staying up past midnight is almost a daily affair, right? It almost happens every single night. It's not a big deal. And, you know, for New Year's as well, you're kind of like, as an adult, you're kind of like, oh my God, when will when will it be 12 o'clock so we can just smash this out and go to bed? Especially as an adult with small children, you're kind of like, I'm wrecked. Just put the, can't we have the fireworks on an hour early or something <laughs> so we can just smash this out? But um, yeah, so that's what it was like when I was really young. As I got to sort of late teenage years, I think we would start having teenage get-togethers. So, I would go and hang out with my friends and, you know, we would probably stay up past midnight. Some of them back then probably did drink, like illegally. So, they would have somehow gotten alcohol, whether from family or friends that were older, you know, of age to be able to buy it. And then we would- there were certain 
times, especially around Ocean Grove where I grew up, where there was one girl in the town who was probably the daughter of the one of the richest people in town. And he owned a whole bunch of different houses and a lot of them were getting developed. So, they would be like old houses on blocks of land and they would be due to be demolished and then a new huge townhouse set of, you know, buildings was going to be made to hopefully make the guys squillions, right? Lots of money. And so, I remember one Christmas Eve, I think it was a Christmas Eve, we went over to one of these sorts of houses that was falling apart and she and her friends and my friends and everyone, all these other people I didn't know just showed up and it was one of these things where you're like, Ugh, this this is probably not going to be good and uh, especially with young kids, you know, alcohol, kids hooking up with one another um, and then uh, there were some sh- kids that showed up with tools and I remember all of a sudden this girl started smashing through one of the walls with a hammer and the other kids all started sort of joining in just just destroying this house. And I think that was probably about the time that I was like, yeah, okay, I'm, I'm tapping out of this because <laughs> I, I have no idea whose house this is. Like, she's telling us that it's her parents and that it's fine and everything and you're like, but what do I know, you know? And I'm pretty sure we all left, my friends and I, and heard that the, the cops were obviously called because the neighbours would have been like, what the hell is going on? And, um, yeah, her parents were pretty pissed off. I think it was true what she was saying, at least, again, through the people that I heard the kind of story from. But I don't think they gave her permission to just try and, you know, just destroy the house from the inside. So, yeah. And something that would always happen down in Ocean Grove in particular, there would be fireworks that would be held on the bluff. So, this sort of, what would you say, like a part of the land that goes out into the ocean and there's a big cliff. So, that's what a bluff is, right? It's a thin strip of land that sort of pokes out into the ocean and you can go up on top of the bluff. And each year, there would be fireworks there and they'd have the 9 o'clock fireworks and then the 12 o'clock fireworks. And you can pretty much see the bluff from anywhere along the beach down here. And so, what would happen usually is that all of these kids and and their families and everything like that would go down to um, the main beach or to any of the beaches really, but the main gathering point was the main beach. And you would just sort of chill out there and watch the fireworks at midnight. But I remember I went down and it was just a bit too rough, to be honest. There were a lot of... When I was growing up in Ocean Grove, there were a lot of, uh, I guess, middle to lower class people... Um, you know, that sort of demographic and their children quite often were a bit rougher than um, the average the average kid. It's since changed now. It's, Ocean Grove is now just full of rich people and, um, you know, it's just because they, I guess they found it and realized they could work from home and buy these houses down there. But I remember there being fights breaking out, people setting off fireworks themselves, setting off fireworks into the crowd you know, girls fighting each other, people getting drunk, people throwing bottles. I remember the first time I went down there for the New Year's fireworks, I was just like, good God, this is so, this is just (laughs) horrifying, you know, and there would be, you know, kids with parents and stuff, children, small children, and the cops would be down there and everything, but it would just be total carnage. And I, I remember I was just like, yeah, I'm not doing this again. I think I did it once. I may have done it twice, but then bailed early, but yeah, it was just like, yep, not into this. But yeah, so that was, there, there's some experiences that I've had over New Year's when I was sort of a teenager. And then I think later on in life, 
when I was in my mid-20s or maybe early 20s, would have been early 20s, um, I would start having my own gatherings at my parents' house. So, they'd have friends and family over, probably just a few friends of theirs. And I would have a bunch of my schoolmates come over. So, there might be 10 of us or something that would sit out on the deck or in the yard and we would be just chilling out, drinking, having a barbecue because obviously- down here in the Southern Hemisphere, New Year's Eve and Christmas and everything happens in summer. And so, like today at the moment, it's like 30 something degrees. It's scorching hot. I'm in, <laughs> I'm in shorts and a singlet at the moment in my, my study uh, with no fan, just sweltering away. If I turn around, what is it? Yeah. Okay. So, it's cooled down a little bit. It's 27 degrees in here. But um, yeah, so that was fun. And I remember, I think what did we do for New Year's that that year? We went down to the beach, but instead of going up to the main beach, we turned left and went towards Point Lonsdale, which was about probably about maybe seven kilometers along the beach. And you can see when you get down to Ocean Grove Beach, you, you look right up to Barwon Heads and you can see the bluff pointing out. And if you look left down the other direction of the beach. So, that would be looking left, looking towards the east. That's the mouth of Port Phillip Bay and you can see a lighthouse down there and that's Point Lonsdale Lighthouse. So, I used to walk walk down there. You could, it'd take about an hour and a half to get there and you could walk back if you wanted, but it, it was sort of suicide, especially on a hot day um, because it, it's so hard walking on sand. Anyway, so, it was, it was probably getting close to midnight and we all thought, oh, we'll go down there, um, down to the beach, Turn, turn left, walk down towards Point Lonsdale, probably a kilometre or so. And then we went up into the dunes, which is something today you'd be like, yeah, you shouldn't do that because, you, you know, you're degrading the dunes, the sand's coming down, you're destroying the plants and everything. But obviously, we were yum, young and dumb. So, as kids, yeah, I guess 20s, we had chairs and blankets and stuff and we went and sat up in the dunes and just hung out and watched the fireworks down there. And it was, it was kind of a much better experience than the ones like at Ocean Grove Beach because you were just with 10 people, you could all chat and there was no one else around. You couldn't see anyone else and then you got to see the fireworks. And I can't remember if it was that year or not, but I'm pretty sure there was one or two years where we went out there, whether or not it was New Year's and we slept in the dunes just in some rugs because, again, it was summer and it was nice and warm and I don't know, it was just something to do, something to try. But um, yeah, so those were some of those experiences. I think later on when I was probably... Uh, it probably still would have been early 20s, so maybe 22, 23. I was going on a road trip from, well, obviously my house, but Melbourne, all the way up through Victoria, along the coast, New South Wales, into Queensland, and then to Bundaberg, which is about halfway up Queensland's coastline. And the point of going there was to do some turtle research. So, I had kind of like roped in some friends from university and we were doing turtle volunteering. So, taking care of turtles on the beach, you know, taking down the measurements, their stats, looking at the nests, how many eggs did they lay, all that sort of stuff. Um, We were doing that for multiple summers in a row for a series of weeks or months in my case. I ended up doing quite a few months. I loved it. Um, So, anyway, we were doing a road trip to go up to... um, Yeah, to go up to Bundaberg. And I think we ended up coming... I think we may have done the road trip first and then driven back down from from, um, Bundaberg to Sydney to do New Year's Eve. And we were staying with some friends of friends. And this is the year that I got robbed. So, we (laughs) we went to the Sydney waterfront that night 
And uh, there were probably about four or five of us that, yeah, well, max of five people, the number of people that could have fit in the car. And we went down to the waterfront and we had uh, our camera and wallet and keys for the car and everything like that in a backpack. And the girl that was kind of in charge of everything, the one whose car it was and, and um, you know, who kind of organized the road trip and did most of the driving, she was holding onto the backpack. And so, whilst the fireworks were taking place, we, I think, I think this was before I was actually drinking. So, I think what had happened was that they were drinking, they were drinking alcohol and they had put the bag down just as the fireworks started and had just taken a few steps forward and were just watching the fire, the fireworks for about 10 minutes, right? For as long as they last. And when, when the girl turned around the bag was gone after the fireworks and I was just like, you got to be fucking kidding me. You got to be fucking kidding me. Like, the most annoying thing was the fact that the keys to the car were in the bag. <laughs> so, out of everything, like, the the second most annoying thing for me was my camera with the photos from the trip had disappeared, like, and was never found. I think we found the bag. The people had just emptied it, taken everything out of it and then dumped the bag in a bin and we found that later on. But, um... Yeah, so I guess it's something to be wary of if you guys, well, you're probably going to hear this the day after, but I hope none of you guys experience this. But when going to these sorts of events with huge crowds, and many of you guys probably know this better than me, right? You know, I've got friends from Brazil that would just probably laugh at the fact that, oh, yeah, you're in a huge crowd and you just left the backpack on the ground and turned around and ignored it for 10 minutes. Yeah, good. What did you expect? But, um, even in Australia, these sorts of things can happen. You know, there are going to be opportunistic people looking for those kinds of things. And I imagine that during the Sydney fireworks in particular, where you have millions of people, I think the year we went, it was like one or one and a half million people just standing around the waterfront watching the fireworks. When you've got crowds like that, you usually have thieves, right? Pickpockets or people just waiting for someone to just put something down, forget about it momentarily, and they, they can just nick it, right? And they can flog it. So, yeah, that happened and we had to go back and sort of beg the people we were staying with to stay for a few extra nights whilst the brother whose car it was of the the girl that was organizing it all and was doing a lot of the driving and everything whilst he sent the other spare key up to her so that she could eventually get into the car and um, we could all drive home. But, yeah, so we got stuck in Sydney for a few extra nights. It wasn't the worst thing in the world, but uh, it was kind of annoying. Just, yeah. One, because you kind of, I don't know, you're just like, why would you do that? Like, if you're going to rob someone, at least if you find keys, just throw the keys on the ground or something. Like, seriously, what are you going to do with them? You know, unless you find them right in front of the car that they belong to. If you find keys in the middle of a crowd, what are you honestly going to do with them? So, just chuck them on the ground. That's uh, That was the most annoying thing for me. I was like, God, please, can we just find the bag with the keys to the car in the goddamn bag so that we can use the car? Yeah. So, anyway, that's what that was like. That, it was good besides that, although I don't think I'd do it again. Sydney is... Yeah, you, you guys probably know my thoughts on Sydney and I'm not a massive fan of big crowds either, but for all of the sort of hassle and everything to be able to get to the waterfront with the number of people everywhere, like the streets were just jam-packed, chock-a-block full of, of people, like literally you know, from one side of the street to the other was just crowd and it was really hard to be able to navigate. You lose your friends in the crowd. Uh, It was just a total sort of nightmare. And I think this would have been like 2007 that this would have happened. So, this was... 
I mean, we have mobile phones at the time, obviously, but it was, yeah, it was quite a while ago. Um, so, yeah, that was an interesting experience. I don't think I'd do it again. I don't think I'd do it again. I've done Melbourne fireworks as well, which has been fun. And Melbourne's a little more different from Sydney where the fireworks are kind of spread out and there are multiple locations throughout the city where you will see a fireworks show as opposed to, say, in Sydney where you'll see... Obviously, the firework display is the is on the Sydney Harbour Bridge, and I think it also involves the um, the Opera House a little bit, maybe. I don't know. Am I smoking something? Uh, I feel like the Opera House is involved too. But anyway, it's on the bridge. It's sort of a centralised single location. In Melbourne, it's kind of spread out where you'll have like three or four different points that all kind of display the same show. Uh, across the city, you know, they don't really sort of do it on a single thing. It would probably be cool if they could do it on the the Westgate Bridge or maybe, um, I've forgotten what it's called, but the Ferris wheel, that huge Ferris wheel that never works and costs too much <laughs> to make that thing, the white, the big white Ferris wheel in Melbourne, it would be kind of cool if they could do that. But yeah, I don't know. For whatever reason, they've decided to just dot it around the city and I guess more people can see it that way and, and a single big crowd doesn't kind of all come to a single area. Um, So, yeah, and then I guess what happens after that is usually if you're still up, you can kind of just keep watching the TV and they'll start showing the fireworks shows from the next, uh, what would you say, the next most Western cities. So, obviously, as time passes, you know, the Earth's spinning, um, the time is sort of... (laughs) <laughs> How do I don't want to describe this. <laughs> I'm so tired. I should have planned this ahead of time. Um, but as you go to the West, it's like one city after the other starts having their New Year's Eve uh, fireworks displays as the time reaches midnight. And so, I think we often see, you know, Southeast Asia and then Asia and Dubai and everything and eventually Europe. And then it goes all the way around to the US and Canada and South America and everything like that. So, that often happens and you, we often also wake up the next morning and you'll turn the TV on and you can start seeing, oh, look, it's up to Paris or, you know, it's, a, it's, it's in New York now. So, yeah. So, I guess that's sort of all I've really got to say. Tonight, we've got one of my wife's best friends over and they're cooking up a storm in the kitchen. I think they're cooking up, I'm not sure if it was shepherd's pie or something else or a cottage pie for the kids. And I think they're going to hang out here and I'm going to go to my folks' place because they've got some family friends coming over, um, yeah, for New Year's Eve. And so, I might chill out with them for a bit. Although, yeah, the older I get, the more I'm sort of like, oh, I'll just watch the fireworks <laughs> on YouTube tomorrow. All right. So, I'm going to have a sip here of my uh, coffee. And I'm going to look at some of these questions. Okay. The letter H, is it pronounced H or H? This one comes from Camo. So, good question. You'll hear both, obviously. You'll hear people say H and you'll hear people say H. H is how I always learnt it, without the H at the start of it. And I think, from what I understand, the origin of H, saying it with an H at the start of it, comes from Irish Catholics that migrated to Australia and was saying H instead of H. That's what I've heard. I think now it's more a thing of when kids are growing up, they'll just pick one or the other. And H, I think, probably makes more sense to a lot of people because you at least have the letter that the sound represents 
at the start of the word for it, right? So, instead of H, where there is, there is effectively no huh sound in the word H, you have the word H and you have the huh at the start of it to represent the sound. I don't know if that makes sense. But, you know, like saying the word or the letter D, it'd be weird if it was like just E, you know, instead of having the D sound at the front of it. So, I think that's why a lot of people latch onto it these days. They're like, well, if the word is meant to represent the sound, why isn't the sound in the word? So, which, you know, makes sense, makes sense. But I always learned that it was H and that H was a mispronunciation. Okay, this one comes from Hadaz. Is your Aussie sound general? Because I'd say you've got a general Australian accent. Yeah, so, I mean, I'm no linguist or specialist in Australian accents, like the actual linguistic side of it. I'm no specialist. So, I'm sure that there are many people out there who can explain this better than me. But broadly speaking... And it it isn't really that accurate, but broadly speaking, there are sort of three different accents and generally two, right? So, there's going to be the broader kind of nasalized, longer vowels, um, that kind of accent with the like, the the Kath and Kim kind of, you know, oh, that's lovely, doll. You know, nice, nice idea. That's that kind of broader Australian accent. You will hear people speak with that, usually in the sort of more rural areas, the further away from the cities, and the general accent is a little bit less nasalized and there are fewer sort of diphthongs, right? So, you won't hear as many of those kind of like, oh, yeah, sort of vowel sounds um, when, when the person's speaking. So, yeah, there was this quote-unquote cultivated accent that Australians are sort of losing more and more and more. So, this was the sort of posher accent, the kind of closer to RP, received pronunciation from Great Britain. It was like those Australians who wanted to sound a little more British. Um, And that accent's kind of dissipated and disappeared quite a lot, to be honest. And yeah, it used to be sort of in the upper class. And I think you would hear like politicians with that kind of pronunciation. But more recently, in particular, I think... Politicians have tried to show that they are much more closer to the average Australian and so they have no fear of having a broader accent or just having a general accent and in many cases, they will sort of turn it on, right? They kind of normally would have a general accent but they'll try and, oh yeah, how's it going? They'll turn on a bit of a broader accent to be like, oh, I'm just an average Aussie, mate. You know, I might be the Prime Minister but I'm just your average Aussie bloke, little battler down on his luck, you know, matey. So, they'll put that on a little bit more to feel a bit more, I guess, likeable, you know, or relatable to the average Australian. And I think back in the day, that kind of cultured accent was probably used to differentiate yourself a bit from the average Australian, to be like, oh, no, I have a really good education. I studied a lot. I went to um, Monash University and did my law degree there. You know, they would speak a lot more like a, a Brit, you know, like the Queen. Related to that, why do Australians not open their mouth when they speak? So, this is really funny that you say that. And this one comes from Nushin. There are definitely those Australians. And I don't know if it is something that just happens in every single language. But people who mumble and don't open their mouths and don't articulate words clearly. And I think in particular, I always get asked, Pete, why are you so easy to understand? When I listen to your podcasts, when I, you know, consume your courses or a part of your memberships or whatever, and I hear you talking, I can understand you. 
I think a big part of that is that one, I do articulate as well as I can generally when I'm speaking. But two, I'm probably conscious of the fact that the content I'm creating is for people learning English. And so, I try to articulate even more clearly and, you know, try and make sure that I'm not mumbling or closing my mouth off. Whereas, I may do that a little more with my mates, you know, because it's just how you're used to speaking. And yeah, it it is an interesting thing. But I have noticed that there are plenty of Australians that just do it all the time. And I think, I'm trying to remember... I think, uh, God, I've almost forgotten his name. There was a guy that we used to live with in Melbourne and I feel like I want to say his name was George, but I, I he was on the podcast too and I've, <laughs> I can't believe I've forgotten. He was one of the first episodes, like in the first 50 or so. But I remember interviewing him back then and he was so mumbly, like, oh, yeah, you know what I'm talking And uh, all the listeners were like, what the hell, dude? We totally need a transcript for this. This is impossible to understand, Pete. What the the fuck, man? (laughs) And I remember telling him and him just being like, ah, well, it's just hard luck for them. But we were also watching, my wife and I were watching some Australian true crime series. There's a YouTube channel, I think, called Australian Crime. And there are free shows on there. And we were watching one of them. And there was this guy from, I think his name was Chow. His nickname was Chow. C-H-O-W, and he was from like the 1920s or something, right? You know, he was... In fact, it may be, he may have even been born earlier than that, but he spoke like that. His mouth barely moved, and I remember every time he was getting interviewed, because they were showing these old interviews on the TV show with him sort of reporting certain things that he'd done in the past. He was a criminal. My wife was just like, what the fuck? I can't understand anything this guy says. And I was like, oh, I can understand him, but I'm like, yeah, well, I've heard... I've been exposed to these people so much throughout my life that, you know, you kind of get used to it. Though, sometimes what they say, you're just sort of like, what? I miss that. Um, Yeah. So, if you have trouble with that, you're not alone. You're not alone. It just takes practice. You just have to be exposed to it more and more and more. And, um, yeah, you can do that through things like TV shows, like this Australian crime one, where these people that are, you know, from the lower class and the middle class and they have these broader accents and they might use a lot of slang and all this sort of stuff. They're getting interviewed and they're talking about their lives and everything naturally. And so, yeah, interestingly, I think Australian crime series are probably a pretty good place to go if you're trying to work on the broader accent comprehension. Um, because, yeah, a lot of the time, the criminals, that's how they spoke. They have a broader accent and they use a lot more slang and they mumble a lot more. And I think it, it's one of those things where if, if they were to try and speak with a quote-unquote, cultivated accent, uh, they would probably be um, teased quite a lot, to say the least. All right. Um, Okay. Okay, this one comes from Amber, who says, What does far out mean? You always say it. Is it Aussie slang? So, far out, far out, right? Far out. This is just a... An exclamation or an expression that's used to show shock, surprise, or the fact that you're impressed by something, right? So, if I heard that someone won the lottery, right? They won the lotto. Wow, I won a million dollars. I'd be like, far out, mate. That's amazing. You know, far out. So, I'm showing, wow, geez, incredible. Whoa. That's, they're just different ways of saying far out, right? Showing that you're impressed. Wow, that's incredible. Far out, far out. If someone nearly ran me over in the street, you know, it's obviously a lot politer to say that. 
um, than some of the other things that I can imagine would come to mind if you were in a serious situation like that where someone's almost run you over, you know, probably wouldn't, far out probably wouldn't be the first thing to come out of my mouth. But if you were being polite and you weren't swearing and you nearly got run over, you could say something like, far out, mate. Why aren't you looking where you're driving? Or far out, I almost died, far out. And you're showing shock or irritation, anger in that sense. So, yeah, far out, it's very commonly used down under. Um, All right, another sip of my coffee here. Okay, this one comes from Zaid. How do you pronounce ball? So, like a round ball that you would play a sport with compared to bowl, which is an implement that you would eat food out of, right? A bowl. So, or and owl. Or, owl. Or, owl. So, the first one is the long vowel sound or in words like bore, you know, like boring, or, tor, door, uh, thor, claw, or. Owl. O, O is a diphthong, right? You're getting a sound change in the vowel. There's more than one vowel sound that happens there. O, O. And this is the sound in words like cold or old or fold. And I think this is one of those rare sounds where it isn't really described very well when you go into the linguistics of the language because I think this O sound only really happens when there's an L sound after it if that makes sense. So, the only words that I can really think of happen when there's either, it'll either be an L sound or it would be turned into a dark L sound, right? So, if I were to say the word cold, the L causes your mouth to change shape and change the vowel quality. So, that's why you get a diphthong sound. Whereas, if I remove the L and set it cod, it'll be ah, right? So, instead of ah, ah, it would just be the short ah sound. So, this is kind of very complicated stuff. And the easiest way to learn about this is obviously checking out my Australian pronunciation course. You'll find that on the website. Go check it out. We do lessons in there about this. But yeah, the the way of learning these sorts of things, at least the way that I would do it, is by just doing loads and loads of listen and repeat exercises. You can target specific sounds like or and ah and ol everything like that, or you can just go nuts doing these exercises without specifically targeting anything. So, you know, listening and repeating, doing shadowing exercises, asking friends and family, people that are native speakers or even non-native speakers to say certain sounds, repeat after them. Paying attention to these things is the biggest thing. It's the biggest thing for being able to correct yourself so that you can sound much more like a native when speaking English if that's your goal, okay? But yeah, um, it's it's a very advanced sound difference here that a lot of people never actually quite pick up bowl versus bowl. And it's because usually through context, I'll be able to understand you, right? The average person can probably understand what you mean. If you said, um, I want to go outside and play a bowl game, they would be like, oh, they mean ball game. Or if you said, I want to eat some noodles in a ball, they'd be like, oh, they mean bowl. Okay. But yeah. That was, a, that was a very good pickup though. So, it's interesting that you've noticed that one because that is very, very advanced. Um, all right. We might do one more, but I can feel my voice is kind of fading, guys. So, forgive me for that. Okay. Is it cheaper to dine in a restaurant or cook a meal for two in Melbourne? 
So, this one comes from Elachech. Um, I would say definitely cooking your own meal, no matter where you are in Australia, is going to be cheaper. And it's a, it's a weird phenomenon. I know that in a lot of other places around the world, it can be the inverse, where it's more expensive to cook your own food than it is to just buy food, type, buy takeaway. But generally speaking, I think it is cheaper to buy the components for the meal, obviously, and cook it yourself than to have someone do it for you. <clears throat> Although, you obviously have to spend your own time and effort buying the ingredients and then cooking it up and learning how to cook it up, following the recipe, and it may not come out as good as some, you know, chef who does it a hundred times a night at a restaurant. But yeah, so, restaurant restaurant meals are pretty expensive in Australia. If you were going to an actual proper restaurant, I would probably be expecting you to pay between 60 to to $100 a person. Uh, whereas, if you were cooking a meal for yourself at home, it might be as cheap as 10 bucks a person, right? Depending on what it is that you're cooking. So, yeah. Anyway, guys, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much for sticking it out in 2022. I hope you guys have had an amazing year, an amazing Christmas period, holiday period, and a safe and happy New Year's as well. And uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to 2023 and all the good things that I am uh, planning to hopefully work on and uh, get out there for you guys. So, thank you so much. I love you all. I really appreciate you guys. And um, also, I guess I should mention, this will be out tomorrow. The Academy is open, guys. So, the Academy has opened. It'll be opened until the 7th of January. If you want to sign up, now's the time. So, I will see you there. Catch ya. Thank you.